So I wanted to um, bring the word from the book of John, um, chapter 11, and this idea of where were you? Where were you, God? And I didn't know the songs, the song choices that Patrick was going to pick for today. Um, the one that just played, there was a lyric that really stuck out to me in my mind, and it said, Give me faith to trust what you say, that you're good and your love is great. And I don't know about you, but I've been through some really hard stuff in my life. And there have been times when it is really, really hard to believe that God is good and his intentions towards me are good. And there have been times in my life where I've asked God, where were you? Okay, so that's kind of what we're going to dig into uh, in, in this story today. So this story is in John chapter 11. This is the story of Lazarus. I'm sure many of us have heard, if you've been in church any length of time, you've heard this story preached before. I'm going to come to it with a little bit of, I hope, a different angle for you, and I hope that you will um, learn to see yourself in the story. I think there's that's how the Bible is alive to us, when we read the story, and how does this apply to me in my life? Where do I see myself in the story? And I'm going to uh, highlight Mary, who was the sister, one of Lazarus' sister. He had two sisters, uh, Martha and Mary. And right from the beginning of uh, John chapter 11, it tells us that Lazarus, Martha, and Mary were friends of Jesus. Okay, I think it mentions that for a reason. Um, this is the same Mary that um, I know in one place in the Bible it's mentioned in the book of Luke. Um, Jesus had stopped by their house. And Martha is buzzing around the house, uh, preparing food, trying to pamper the guest. Um, I am that Martha type. It's one of my many weaknesses. I am not very good at sitting down and being still. My children will tell you that. Uh, pray for me. Um, so, I, yeah, I can definitely relate to Martha as she's buzzing around. And she gets resentful. And she asks Jesus, Lord, don't you care that my sister is just, because Mary was sitting at Jesus' feet, don't you care that she's just sitting there and I'm doing all this work and she's not helping me? I'm paraphrasing. And Jesus tells Martha, you are upset and worried about many things. That's so true. A lot of times when we're constantly doing and constantly throwing ourselves into being busy and having to do a thousand things, it's because there's other things we're trying to mask and not deal with. You are upset and worried about many things, but Mary has chosen what is better. So Mary saw the value in Jesus. She saw the value in sitting at his feet and clinging to every word that he said. Okay, and that's going to be important to remember as we move on in this story. Um, the text says that Lazarus and Mary and Martha lived in the village of Bethany, which was about a mile to a mile and a half from um, Jerusalem. Both villages, Bethany and the sister village, Bethphage, I think I'm saying that correctly. Um, I imagine this would be like I live in Seven Miles, a small village, so like Seven Mile in Trenton, or uh, maybe Oxford and Collinsville, just, just little sister villages that are that are close in proximity. Um, and it was located on the Mount of Olives. And as we know in the Bible, um, olives have a lot of spiritual significance. And this is just something I found in studying that I thought I would give you a little bit of this information because I thought it was interesting um, where they're located. So this village of Bethany... Um, some spectators believe that it sort of represented a state of spiritual goodness, okay? 
And so it's located on the Mount of Olives. We know that olives um, are mentioned all throughout the Bible. We know that Noah, when he was after the flood, when he wanted to know if it was safe to leave the ark, um, a dove comes back with, with an olive branch, and so he knows that the ground is dry and that it's safe. Um, because of the proximity of olive gardens in that area of the world, there were olive trees everywhere, and so olive oil was commonly used to anoint the sick. Um, Gethsemane, also, which we know is the garden where Jesus often escaped to pray. Um, it is the garden where he wrestled with the fact that he was going to the cross so much that he was sweating blood, which is an actual physical condition that happens when your body is under severe, severe panic and stress. Um, this is also the same garden where he would later be betrayed by Judas. A place of the greatest betrayal in human history, yet so much good would come of it. So we look at this location of Bethany, the spiritual significance of it being on the Mount of Olives, Olive, and just representing a state of spiritual goodness. And yet, as we move along in this story, you're going to see, even though it represents this, like Mary very much wrestles spiritually. And I think that's part of all of our stories. I think a lot of people feel shame when they doubt God or they ask questions, but these, it's part of, part of human existence. All right, so in John 11, Lazarus has fallen sick. And the sisters have sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. And the message translation of this says, the one you love so very much is sick as if that as if that belief protects you from bad things happening to you it's almost like they felt like that would give them a certain advantage to throw that in verse 4 when he heard this jesus said this sickness will not end in death no it is for god's glory so that god's son may be glorified through it and then it says jesus loved martha and her sister, and Lazarus. I think it's important that Scripture points that out. He loved them. Yet, when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. I imagine that pretty quickly after they, we don't know the exact timeline, but that pretty quickly after they sent that word to Jesus, Lazarus quickly, quickly declines. Hope turns into despair, and as we know in the story, Lazarus dies. So they've sent for him. They're assured. They're confident. Lord, the one that you love is sick. They just know that he's going to come. But he doesn't. And I don't know about you, but I have walked through times in my life when I have felt like God was holding out on me. Like God was in some distant and detached place. And though I've called out to you, You've decided to stay where you are two more days. Mm. Went through a, a very recent situation, um, watching one of my sons go through something, and he was hurting. And like, there is nothing as a parent that is harder than watching your kids hurt and feeling like your hands are tied, and it's not something that you can fix. Gone are the, the days of band-aid and a kiss on the knee. Like, this was not a situation I could fix. And in that moment, I felt like I had never been through anything hard in my life. I've been through some hard stuff. It's easy to forget, you know. 
Um, God, where were you? Patrick and I went through um, a miscarriage one time. This was before we had Eliana, a year before we had her. And I was 13 weeks pregnant. This is Patrick's first time going through a pregnancy, so you can imagine he's super, super excited. Uh, I was excited as well. We go into the doctor's office. It's that, that day when you finally get to hear the heartbeat. They're looking, 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 can't find it. She's like, well, you know, you're still early. We'll go get an ultrasound. So I'm like, yay, we get a free ultrasound, you know? We get to see the baby. Get in there. The sonographer is doing the ultrasound, and on the screen is a baby. I mean, I can see it's form. I can see very small little little buds of limbs. Perfect. But it's not moving. And like I have enough, you know, I have a nursing background, so I know enough to know like just not seeing much on there. And I just felt alarmed. And our worst fears were confirmed. Um, the baby had died maybe like two weeks prior and had stopped growing and they don't always know why these things happen, but that's what we went home with that night. And I remember the shock and denial of that being so strong that I actually wanted them to go back and look again days after this happened. Because I thought just maybe, like, just maybe, they just didn't see what they needed to see. You know, and there's still hope of life in there. And then after I had my the DNC, you know, where they they remove uh, the baby that's passed. I just remember laying, laying down and just feeling empty womb, empty heart, complete emptiness and brokenness, you know? God, where were you? Where are you and why? A few weeks ago, two, two weekends ago, we went up to um, ORW and they were having an amazing women's conference there that weekend and the theme was, you are chosen. And there were all these outside guests. Um, they're affiliated with another church locally, and they do prison ministry, and they were all getting up and sharing their stories, and they would pick a woman in the Bible um, to sort of, like, that they could relate to. And just this idea and theme, you are chosen, how they had been chosen by God. But their stories told of deep struggle, times of asking God, where were you? Um, there was one girl who had shared how, like, she was raised by a single father. And, like, for her entire life, her mom has never had any interest in knowing her and having a relationship with her. And, like, you hear a lot, you hear more of that, I think, with men. Um, not as much with women. Not that it doesn't happen with women. I'm not trying to say that at all because it does. Uh, but you could just hear the, the pain, and especially now that she's a mother herself. And she just can't imagine not wanting a relationship with her, with her child at all. That was one story. Another story was um, a girl who had been a victim of sexual abuse. And so she grows up to be an adult who becomes very promiscuous with men. And just the destruction that that brings to your own soul when you give yourself away in these relationships that um, aren't good for you. Uh, another girl was a victim of rape. Um, and later had had multiple, multiple abortions. And if you don't know this, and I, I know this from hearing stories and from talking to women who have been with it, who have been through it, when a woman has an abortion, it is something she carries for life. 
from life. And a lot of times people don't even realize that it's something they're carrying, it's something they need to deal with until they're in their 40s. Yeah. Like studies have shown that. But it is deeply, deeply traumatic to a woman. Another woman shared her story of overcoming alcoholism. Just story after story of God, where were you when this happened in my life? The lowest moment of my life, um, most of you in here know a little bit of my story, so I'm not going to go too in-depth to that, but I, I do want to touch on it, um, was nine days before my 27th birthday. I had gone uh, downtown to a bachelorette party in downtown Cincinnati and drank too much. I had been raised in church all of my life, had a lot of religion and absolutely no relationship with Jesus. I I just didn't. I also had father fractures and things that kind of skewed my view of God. Uh, but I left that bachelorette party after having drank too much. I got on the interstate and hit another car head on. And the driver died on impact and her passenger was critically injured. He did survive, thank God. And I remember laying in the emergency room that night, and I had no idea what I had hit. I thought I had hit like a, like a guardrail or one of those cement boulders. I didn't know. And I remember the officer telling me, somebody else died, and if you believe in prayer, now is the time to pray because her passenger is, is in surgery right now. And you talk about feeling abandoned by God. Don't be mistaken. I have always and I still accept full responsibility for my actions that night. I didn't have to get behind the wheel. But let's just keep it real for a moment. We all make bad decisions sometimes, right? And they don't always end faithfully. And so from that moment and many times since then, it's hard not to say, why God? Why couldn't my car just not start that night, you know? Why couldn't I have just made it home safely, you know? I, uh, I, was, out, I was out on bond for four months uh, before being sentenced. And one of the darkest times in my life, it's so hard to look at pictures from during that time, especially of my children. And just to kind of let you into that moment in my life, um, the day that came for my sentencing, was February 11th, 2008, my family had gathered at my house, and they were going to pray, and we were going to say goodbye, because we knew that I was going away for a minimum of two years. That's, that's state law. And I had accepted a plea deal for four. And I'm saying goodbye to everyone, and of course I want to tell my children goodbye, because they do not want them going to the court hearing for many reasons. And I go to look for my 10-year-old. And I'm going to tell this story, Mom. Because sometimes you have to talk about something in order to heal. And I couldn't find him in the house anywhere. So I go upstairs, and he was sitting on the floor outside my bedroom. And he was sobbing. I just head down. I ended up being sentenced that day to six years. Um, three in Marysville and three in Dayton Correctional. I served all but four days of that sentence. 
for good days. Um, I have definitely asked the question, God, where were you? You know, how could you not? Um, I wanted to come home early. People get released early all the time. And God's plan for me was to do almost day for day. Um, and that's okay today because had that not happened, I wouldn't be married to Patrick. I wouldn't have my daughter. There's so many beautiful things in my life that would not have happened if I had, had not turned out that way. But I certainly asked the question. Still ask that question sometimes. Did you turn your head in that moment? Did you not hear me crying out? Do I mean so little to you? The text says that he loved them. And yet he stayed where he was for two more days. And now four days have passed. Four days in the week of grief feels like eternity. That's 96 hours. That's 5,760 minutes. I can do a little bit of math sometimes with a calculator. Four days in the silence of unanswered questions. I rode behind a hearse this week. Uh, my lifelong friend, Rebecca, for the past eight years, she's in her 30s, uh, has visited her mother in a nursing home because she had dementia so far advanced that she no longer even remembered Rebecca's name. I know Rebecca has asked why, you know? And there's nothing that will trigger your why questions and your wrestling like riding behind a hearse, like sitting in the midst of grief. Four days and Jesus has finally arrived. And we know in the scriptures that the house is packed because that was part of Jewish culture, as Patrick taught several weeks ago. They gather around and they, they sit in silence, which that's a concept, right? So they're all packed in this house. They'd all come to comfort Mary and Martha after the passing of their brother Lazarus. And Martha hears that Jesus is coming. He's been spotted in the town. Four days have passed and he's finally here. And so I imagine that when you've sent for help from the only person who can help, four days have passed, and you get word that, that person is finally here, you go out of the house, right? You go find him. Not always. The text says that Martha went out of the house to meet him, but Mary stayed in the house. And this is where I see myself in the story. Was it a faith collapse? She lost all faith that God cares, that he's able. Was she embittered? When I think of bitterness, I think of uh, the story of Naomi in the book of Ruth. And briefly about that story, Naomi is journeying back to her hometown. Her husband has died. Both of her sons have died, which if you lived in that day and time, even being a widow today can leave you in desperate situations. But back then, you were really in a bad place if you were a widow. So she's heading back home. And she gets to her hometown, and she's coming home brokenhearted and empty-handed. And she tells the people... Don't call me Naomi, which means pleasantness. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. 
I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. He has brought misfortune upon me. I can hear the sting of bitterness saturated in, in that text. Maybe Mary was angry at God. I've been there. What is she sitting in the house with? Verse 21 says that when Martha greets Jesus, she says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know now, I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. When people say that cliche saying like that faith and doubt can't coexist, and there's, I think there's some truth to that. But sometimes they so closely coexist that you can hear them in the same sentence. Lord, if you had been here, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know now that even God, that God will give you even now what you ask. You hear the faith there. Jesus says to her, your brother will rise again. Next verse, Martha says, I know he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. I don't know about you, but I can hear the disappointment in her words in that, in that sentence. I can hear it. I know he'll rise again in the resurrection of the last day. And I think if, if we could talk to Martha, what she, what she might admit that she was feeling was, but what I really mean is right now. Yeah. Is it too much, too much to hope that God wants to be good to me in this moment? Is it too high of a hope to hope again that this situation just might turn out the way that I hoped it would? Because I know you can raise him in the last day, but what about this day that I'm in? Can you show up in my right now? Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. And he who believes in me will live, even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? And I think Jesus... I think he was talking about way more than just physical death here. Because sometimes in the midst of your everyday life, it feels like you're dying a thousand deaths, right? Sometimes you can be in the land of the living and not be living at all. Sometimes we're walking around existing and still tending a grave. Sometimes we're afraid to hope. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Not spiritually, anyway. I am the resurrection of the life. This is my favorite part of the story. Martha comes back into the house. And she whispers to her sister Mary. I'm going to tell you the message translation of this verse. I like it better. She says, the master is here, and he's asking for you. And the Jews who had, so the text says that the Jews in the house who had been with Mary suddenly noticed how quickly she got up. And so you see a difference in their responses. When Jesus walked into town, it just says that Martha, Martha went out to meet him. But it says when he asked for Mary, we notice how quickly she got up. Sometimes you respond to Jesus quicker and with more desperation after you've had reason to doubt. Do you really wrestled 
with your faith. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and she saw him, she fell at his feet and says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And it says that when he saw her weeping and all the Jews that were with her weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. And he wept. He didn't just get teary-eyed, choked up. He wept. We've all wept in life. It's like that, that crying that you don't even try to stop. You know it's not going to. It's coming out. There's a lot of speculation surrounding this. Um, some, if you read Bible commentary, there's some people that think that Jesus wept because it, it hurt him to see his friends grieving. And, and I believe that. I think God hurts when we hurt. And there's, there's commentary that will tell you that Jesus was troubled with their disbelief. And I think that's a possibility too. But this is what I felt like God showed me. Maybe, just possibly, Jesus wept because they felt abandoned by God. And they endowed, they doubted his intentions of goodness towards them. We know that Lazarus' death was a foreshadowing of Jesus' death. And maybe in that moment, Jesus knew, because he knew his death was coming. He knew the pain that his friends were going to feel. He knew they were going to feel abandoned by God. And they were going to question God's goodness. And I think it hurts God. When we question that he loves us so much, that his intentions for us are only good. I don't think he gets angry when we ask that question. I think it hurts him. One chapter over, in John chapter 12, we see Mary anointing um, Jesus' feet. And in this verse, like, She's getting, a, she's getting a lot of grief over doing this because she had used spikenard oil, which is worth about $50, which would have been an entire year's worth of wages during that time. And they're giving her grief saying, she's wasting that. Like, we could be using that money for the poor. This is Judas saying it, who wouldn't have used it for the poor anyway, but used it for himself. But this could be compared modern day to... Someone saying, why would you buy a loved one for your coffin, or a coffin for your loved one? You could be using that money for the poor, you know? She was preparing him for, for his burial. So they were giving her grief, and Jesus told them to leave her alone, that what she was doing was a beautiful thing. And her story would be told everywhere that the gospel is told. How many times have we, have we heard that story of Mary? anointing his feet with that expensive oil. And I thought about that. Why was that such a a beautiful thing? You know, why did he say that's a a beautiful thing? She anoints him with the oil. She dries his feet with her hair. I mean, like, I don't know about you, but like, I don't want to dry anyone's feet with my hair. You know, I just, it was like, Anointing people was kind of like a hospitable gesture during that day, but to anoint their feet and to dry their feet with your hair was like at a whole other level of devotion. 
she thought he was worth it. And I just wonder like, if part of that was because of the doubt that she had wrestled with. Like, I think there's so much shame sometimes in admitting, like, we have questions. I talked to a friend the other day, and I could tell, like, she was just, she's going through a hard time, and, like, she's just questioning some things. And I could tell, like, she felt guilty even admitting that she questioned God, you know? But our faith becomes so much stronger rooted when we do, you know? It just does. Just does. And I think that's why that's why she was able to do that, you know? Because of all of the pain she had been through and how Jesus had shown up in the midst of that. And he showed up in the midst of her grief and, and called her by name. You know? It's like I don't know, I don't know what you might be sitting in the house with today. Maybe you're maybe you're sitting in the house with grief. Maybe you're you're sitting in the house with anger doubt, bitterness, or resentment, or just questions. But like, he's here. And he's asking for you. He's here in the midst of your, whatever you're sitting in the house with. And he knows your name. 